Good evening, brethren. Uh, after a uh, couple of uh, studies we've been covering uh, Thessalonians, uh, we hope today to complete the second epistle of Thessalonians. In fact, we're going to cover the third chapter. As we mentioned, Paul, after a, a visit which became difficult after a very short period of time, he then um, went, left uh, Thessalonica, and ended up in Corinth, where he stayed there for a few years. And from Corinth, he wrote to the Thessalonians to encourage the brethren and address a number of issues. If we just quickly glance in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, um, he said there that uh, he encouraged them about their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So then uh, later in chapter 4, we see uh, also still in 1 Thessalonians, you, you, we see that, um, um, that uh, he, he pleads for them for a number of things. Um, one of them in verse 3 is for sanctification by abstaining from sexual immorality, and then we see in verse 11 that he, he also uh, uh, writes to them uh, for them to work with their own hands, not to be busybodies. And in verse 18, uh, he's, he, he's concluding a section there about uh, comforting them regarding those that have fallen asleep. And then um, uh, in... Um, in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, he then um, emphasizes that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And, uh, and that seems to have generated some misunderstandings and questions. And, uh, and also there was some uh, disorderly behavior and unreasonable behavior that seems to have persisted. And so he wrote Second Thessalonians, uh, and we see particularly in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, um, which is a key chapter, where uh, he tells the brethren of two key events before uh, the return of Jesus Christ, which have to happen before the return of Jesus Christ. One is the falling away or the apostasy, and the other one is the man of sin which we addressed uh, quite considerably in previous studies. Paul then uh, describes how people are deceived because they did not receive the love of the truth. And so um, he then uh, 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 covers that uh, at the end of uh, that chapter as well. So... Uh, Paul then uh, thanks God for them um, in uh, uh, chapter two, and uh, or for which is basically thanks God for us as well. Uh, the called out ones, and um, and then uh, it tells them and it tells us to all the fast uh, to the traditions uh, which were taught whether by word or 
by our epistle. And that we read in chapter 2, verse 15. We now move to chapter 3, which is where we want to get into today. And uh, let's read uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God, uh, uh, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. So um, he's praying and, and asking the brethren to pray for us. In other words, to pray for the ministry uh, that, uh, that the truth may be preached and glorified. And this is because there is an enemy. We have an adver adversary, which is Satan, but he works through human beings quite often and through a number of uh, things that happen to us. But there is a ministry, uh, uh, an enemy, I beg your pardon. And, uh, and therefore, he, he then in verse 2 continues that we may be delivered. And that's, he's talking about the ministers, the ministry, uh, that in this case was Paul and, and Timothy and others that were with him and Silas. But he is praying that we may be delivered uh, from unreasonable and wicked men. Unreasonable and wicked men. And, uh, and in the rest of the section of this chapter, he's basically talking about those unreasonable and wicked men. He focuses in one area of unreasonableness, but uh, the principle applies in this case to us as ministers because we quite often encounter unreasonable men uh, which give us in the ministry certain challenges, to put it that way, and therefore he's asking, please pray for us that we may be delivered from these unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. And, and basically he's talking about unreasonable men in the church. Uh, this is what he's talking about. Uh, he's talking about unreasonable. The, the word there is a Greek word, word atopos, uh, 824. And it's a similar word that we're going to uh, talk about a little later today. Uh, so this word unreasonable, atopos, which means disorderly, unmanageable, persons out of their place. Um, it's like under no discipline, um, regardless of law or restraint acting disorderly and following unreasonable impulses of their own minds. And sometimes we find this in the church, people that uh, get into some arguments of words and as they get caught into this little corner, they become more unreasonable. And, uh, and it, 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 it becomes difficult to deal with people like that. And we gotta be careful that we don't get caught up 
in these traps. Uh, Barnes' commentary uh, puts it this way, men who acted amiss or improperly, that's Barnes' com commentary on this chapter 3, verse 2, and he says, men who were not found in the, rot, in the right place, who, who had not the right views of things. And then he says, and probably does not refer so much to their being positively wicked or malicious. Maybe not by intent, but when we read um, in verse 2, it says, from unreasonable and wicked man. So, um, I'll take that statement yeah, from Barnes with a little bit of a pinch of salt. But anyway, uh, as Barnes refers, he says, as to their putting things out of the proper place. So yeah, Barnes is, is emphasizing this point of uh, being uh, unreasonable by being people that put things out of their proper place. In other words, out of their context, or take something out of its context, or see things in a slightly different way, um, which causes certain problems. Uh, continue reading Jan Barnes, he says, they gave an undue prominence to certain things and less importance to others than they deserved. They had a distorted vision of the value of objects and in tenacious adherence to their own views. We see this quite often when people start taking a, a little argument about words, or, and then they become very tenacious about their views and forgetting about the big picture. They get involved in this twig and they make out of this twig a big issue and becomes a big argument. I have seen that many times. And, uh, and then uh, Barnes concludes by saying, and prosecuting their own objects to the exclusion of all others, they presented a constant obstruction to the true gospel. So yeah, we have some people, uh, which is, talked yeah, as unreasonable man, taking an unreasonable side of an argument and causing some problems to, to the actual growth of the work, of, of, of God's work, of, in this case, of the work that the ministers, in this case, uh, Paul was doing. That's why he says, yeah, in chapter 3, verse 1, pray for us. And in verse 2, that we may deliver, be delivered from these sort of people, unreasonable. And Paul even says, and wicked. For not all have faith. Not all have the same trust and faith in God that we have, even though they may be in the church. So this is something to be um, careful. And we find today various types of these people causing divisions and hindering the work. We have seen this happening in the past in the church, men causing division. 
you know, was they not of faith? You know, was they not trustworthy? They're not faithful. And it's some people that we just can't really confide in because they get caught onto one thing instead of looking at the big picture. And, uh, and, 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 and that is a problem. Look at verse, verse 3. And we have confidence in the Lord. In other words, God is faithful. God is faithful, but he is, he is now uh, uh, making the people aware uh, that the real enemy uh, is Satan. Because he says, uh, but the Lord is faithful, who will, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one which is Satan. So Paul is actually trying to encourage the brethren. And we're going to see that a little later. He's trying to encourage the brethren through some positive reinforcement to say, hey, uh, I, I, I know that you're going to be protected. And, and that is trying to say, hey, I really hope that you will be protected because in the end, it's our decision. If we, you and I, if we are close to God, if we are following God's principles, if God's Holy Spirit is in us, then God is gonna guide us because God is faithful. But a lot of it depends also on us. We really have to realize it depends on us. And, and therefore, he's saying, uh, God will keep you from Satan's tricks, Satan's was, uh, Satan's uh, uh, deceptions and trickery. Now, if we just briefly look at Matthew 6, verse 13, that's part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. I would rather call the, the model prayer. But uh, Matthew 6, uh, verse uh, 13, Matthew 6, verse, verse 13 says, and uh, in, the, in the prayer says, uh, in the second part yeah, of the prayer, but deliver us from the evil one. We really need to pray that God will help us uh, not to be led into temptation and particularly uh, as we, as Satan puts various little tricks around us for us not to be caught by these tricks. Let me just uh, mention a few, and, and there are many tricks, but let me mention a few, a few tricks of Satan that he can uh, create and cause problems. For instance, a spirit which is rebellious, angry, and hostile. That clearly is something coming from Satan. Let's just look at a few scriptures about that. The first one is 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. In 1 Samuel 15, 
verse 23, you, you, you know the story about uh, at this time when uh, Saul was rejected as a king. And then he uh, says, Samuel says to Saul, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Brethren, there's no such thing as godly rebellion. As I heard some people citing that 12 years ago in a sermon, there is no such thing as godly rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Are we stubborn or are we teachable and malleable? And so when we have this rebellious and hostile and angry spirit, that's a problem. That's a problem. Look at uh, uh, Proverbs 17, verse 11. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 11. Proverbs 17, verse 11. An evil man seeks only rebellion. We got to be careful of rebellion and that spirit of disagreeing with something um, where, uh, and being stated in an unkind way. I'm not saying we, we have to agree to everything, but there is a way of saying, no, I actually don't agree with that uh, in a kind way. Uh, on the other, uh, look at another scripture, Romans 13, verse 1 and 2, that we have to be subject to authorities. Uh, because if we're not subject to authorities, it's talking in the context of rebellion. Uh, so Romans 13, verse 1 and 2. Just turn there, Romans 13, verse 1 and 2. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So we've got to be careful of that. Look at Isaiah 63, um, verse 10. Isaiah 63, verse 10. Isaiah 63, verse 10. Sorry, just pages today are not turning as quickly. Clearly the pages fault. Right. Okay, Isaiah 63, verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So it's talking about the Israelites. They, they didn't obey God. They rebelled and grieved God's Holy Spirit. So when there is rebellion, we are disappointing God. That's basically what it is. God's love, God's grace, God's Holy Spirit. That is 
and, and look at, at, at a fruit or an outcome of rebellion in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 3, verse uh, 15. It says, uh, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So we can see that rebellion leads to a hardening of the hearts. Uh, you become rebellious and you take a strong point, and that means your heart hardens. And, uh, and we need to be careful with that. Um, mm. Uh, and so that's one of the tricks of Satan, a rebellion. We've got to be careful. Another trick, I said I'll mention a few, is pride and willingness to forgive. Uh, we know, for instance, James chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Because we know that's basically satanic attitude uh, also look at first timothy chapter 6 verse 4 and and that ties in with this type of situation <laughs> bigger part of first timothy chapter 6 uh, verse 4 it says he's proud knowing nothing um, but he's obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. So uh, we we gotta be careful about disputes about words. Uh, we gotta be careful with that, and 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 basically. It's a, a, an outcome of pride. Uh, so what do we have to do? He's going to be clothed with humility. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Let's look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him who cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who may devour. So, yeah, we have. If we're proud, we're more susceptible to the evil one. But if we humble ourselves, uh, we, we are fighting more effectively the devil. We really got to humble ourselves. Humility is so important, is so important. Then let's look at, uh, at the act of forgiveness. And, and uh, again, back to the, the model prayer in Matthew 6, verse, uh, or just after the model prayer, obviously it mentions in the model prayer, forgive our trespasses, forgive them that trespass against us. But then in... Um, in Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, it says, immediately after the model prayer, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, 
it, it really disturbed me. One visit I did uh, to a couple. Uh, this man was coming into the church, was not in this country, uh, but the woman uh, was a so-called Christian, Sabbatarian, um, but she had an issue with, uh, with one of her children, and she said, I will never forgive her. And I said to her, how can you say that to your own daughter? Um, how can you say that? And, and I went to the scripture and to others, and I said, you can't do that. You have to forgive regardless. So a proud and an unwilling spirit to forgive is not from God. It's from that evil one. Uh, also, there are other attitudes that we have that we got to be careful. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, talks to us about being content in whatever state we are. Let's just get to it so I can read it correctly. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and, uh, and uh, to be angry, both to abound and to suffer need. That's in verse 12. And then in verse uh, 13, he says, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But in, in verse 11, which is the one I wanted to have read and I misread, mis misquoted, sorry. Not I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. So we got to always be content. So if we are dissatisfied, if we are continuously unhappy, uh, maybe I'm not talking about people that have problems with uh, chemistry in their brains or something like that because that does happen too but do we have a spirit of being discontent all the time we got to be careful because paul says yeah in whatever state i am i've learned to be content um, another problem which is another uh, uh, trick of satan is to compromise with sin a spirit that compromises with sin. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Don't compromise with the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So don't compromise with doctrine. Uh, Take heed, be careful. Um, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. So we're going back to uh, what we read a little earlier, uh, which says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. So whether you read it in God's word or by the epistle of God's apostles, take heed to the doctrine and hold on to the traditions. There's nothing wrong with traditions, provided they are 
based in the scriptures. So uh, don't compromise with sin. So going back to where we were reading in verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And so I've just diverted a little bit by talking about a few of the tricks of Satan, of the evil one, that we have to watch. Now, obviously, there are many others, but I just mentioned a few. So we do not need to fear Satan because we have God on our side. If we obey and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. First John chapter 3, verse 22. It says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So it is more than doing the commandments. He's doing what is pleasing in God's sight. And that is a point for you to meditate on and examine yourself and for me to examine myself. Now, let's continue reading then in uh, verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you will, that you do and will do. Uh-huh. We have confidence that you do and will do. So, yeah, is a very encouraging, positive statement that says, hey, if you are close to God, if you are doing what's pleasing to God and you're keeping his commandments, if you don't give up, if you stay faithful, if God's spirit is working with you and me and us, um, I know that we're all imperfect. I know that we all do faults. I know that we all fail. Yes, we do. But if God's spirit is working with us, God will deliver us and will guard us from the evil one. And that's why it says, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, because God will do his part and will help you provided you do yours. So he says that you do and will do the things we command you. Ah, the things that the apostles are instructing. That is very interesting because we see uh, an apostolic authority given by Christ to the apostles and to God's ministers. It's not a dictatorship, but it is for their good, to be helpers of their joy. And so, yeah, is something that Paul is saying, we are commanding you certain things. Now, understanding the context that he's talking about, as we read in verse 2, uh, that He's talking that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked man. 
And then he says, God is faithful, will protect you from the evil one. We know that you do, you do and you will do what we're telling you to do. Huh. So let's understand there is a context here about some unreasonable demands, uh, some uh, disorderly uh, behavior uh, that was persisting. And he's addressing that. He's addressed in chapter two, this other misunderstanding or questions uh, that they had because when he spoke in First Thessalonians about the Lord's coming, coming, uh, I mean, Christ's coming being as a thief in the night and before the Lord's day uh, or the day of the Lord. And then, uh, and then he also was addressing in First Thessalonians some disorderly behavior and and now that he is tackled in chapter two the the question about um the lord's coming as a thief in the night and he explained that that there will be two key events uh, a falling away first and a man of sin to be revealed now he's addressing the other issue of uh, disorderly behavior because he says uh, we pray that we may be delivered from this unreasonable man this disorderly uh, behavior and uh, and then he says yeah in uh, in verse 4 we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you do and will do according to things we command you so so what is this and, and then he wraps it up nicely by saying, now may, may the Lord direct your hearts um, into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So as we handle these disorderly situations that will happen, uh, may God help you, help me, help us all, uh, in our hearts with God's love, God's grace, God's kindness, which is basically through his Holy Spirit, right? Because God's spirit is a spirit of love. God is love. God's spirit is a spirit of love, joy, peace, faithfulness, goodness, kindness. So God's spirit will help us through that, uh, which is God's love. Uh, uh, which is what? What is God's love? God's love is action. God's love is not just an emotion. I'm not saying God does not have an emotion and feeling of love for us, but God's love is action. He gave his son, his only son, to die for us. So it's action. And, uh, and then uh, it's not just uh, direct our hearts into the love of God, which is this action of our gain concern for others, right? So it's action of what is best for others, but also into the patience of Christ. In other words, 
Christ's capability of patiently enduring against difficult situations. People that are being unreasonable um, in whatever situation. Now, the specifics situation that of unreasonableness is going to address now from verse 6 but it could be any type of unreasonable or disorderly behavior from some people in the church and therefore we need in our hearts god's love which is the capability of even under these unreasonable situations of certain people that we may express uh, an outgoing love for others doing the best for those other people and at the same time have this uh, patience of christ in other words that we have this capability to endure through these difficult situations and these trial trials uh, as christ is now understand i'm not talking about that you are going to be allowed to be rolled over and be abused that's not what i'm talking about so let's keep a balance in there but in in verse six there continues it says but we command you remember in verse four we just said that you do and will do the things we command you and now in verse six is but we command you, brethren. So what is he talking about specifically regarding these unreasonable and wicked men, these, these disorderly people? What is it? We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who works disorderly. Now, it doesn't mean that it's just a minor thing. It really is something that needs to be addressed. Uh, so, and then he says, and not according to the tradition which he received from us. It was the brother received from us. So, what is the tradition? You see, so Paul is here, is saying, withdraw from those that are not being taught by the teaching that the apostles gave. You know, because uh, not according to the tradition which you receive from us. The practice, the, the behavior, the conduct, the example that is getting from us. So, uh, what we see here is brother who walks disorderly. Now, the word disorderly is the Greek word ataktos, which is an adverb. Now, let's just briefly remember why is he raising this up again? Because this was raised up in the first letter. So, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 well it starts a little section there from verse 9 through 12 
And we went through that, which is concerning brotherly love. And then he says in verse 11, that uh, is telling about them that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So we get back to this apostolic authority command, say, hey, work with your own hands and don't be a busy body. Mind your own business. Don't start kind of getting and talking about people and this and that and whatever, when you should actually be engaged and working. So be careful with that. Uh, verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. So, so if you are working, you're not going around and, and being a bad example to those outside as well. Mm -mm. Look at uh, also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. The word unruly is Greek word 813, araktos, which is spelt very similar to the previous word 814 that we read in um, uh, chapter 4, uh, uh, verse um, Uh, right, uh, I beg your pardon, chapter uh, in Second uh, Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 6. In Second Second Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 6 says, Withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. That's 814, atactos, an adverb. And in First Thessalonians, chapter 5 verse 14 unruly is the word also ataktos or araktos uh, spelled the same but having a slightly different accent which is an uh, adjective so what we have here is it says uh, there is a problem here some people were disorderly and as we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, he told them to work with their own hands as we commanded you. And so, whatever reason, maybe they had an excuse to say, well, Jesus Christ is coming so soon, and therefore we don't have to work, and uh, or something like that. But now we're going to continue reading. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, because uh, in verse 6 we saw withdraw from those who walk disorderly. In other words, uh, in this manner of not working. And you say, how can you say that it's not working? Well, because let's read this context. But you're right, the disorderly behavior could be around various points, could be a generic approach, unreasonable and wicked men, as we read in verse 2 of 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verse 2.
But let now let's read verse 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly amongst you. We were not attack tail. In other words, that's the verb, disorderly amongst you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked and labored and toiled night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. It was, we're not disorderly. We were working. So in Thessalonians, he's saying, to the Thessalonians, says, we came there and we worked. Uh, we went busy bodies. We were working. Not because we do not have authority. What do you mean? We don't have authority to receive tithes from you and therefore to, to live off the tithes. Not that we have, we do not have that authority. Uh, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. We deliberately made an example because you knew there were certain people out there that were not working, therefore we were working. And this is true to the Thessalonians and also, also true in Corinth, as we'll see uh, a little later in a moment. So let's continue reading. Uh, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. So what does that mean? Does it mean that uh, they received a tradition from Paul, an example from Paul, to work. Uh, those that were lazy uh, should be subordinate to the leaders and work. And so it is like in a society with a spirit of, well, uh, I have a right to receive money from you, or I have a right, uh, I've, I'm entitled to, to just receive money from somebody else. Uh, and, and it's an interesting thing. Again, uh, I remember once I went on a counseling session with somebody else and, and this person with due respect was trying to learn God's way and things like that. And I had to show him that his thinking was incorrect. But he was telling me, uh, and he was using the parable of Matthew 25, uh, verse 31 to 36. So let's just look at Matthew 25, verse 31. And because this man is a man that was not working. And, uh, and he came to me and says, look, look at this, look. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Um, right, and then, uh, wait, I'm reading in the wrong verse. Should be Matthew 25, verse 31. Beg your pardon. Now, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a sheep divides the sheep from the goats and he'll set the sheep on one on his right hand side and his goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you, blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom, prepare for you, uh, for you from the foundation of the world. 
for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirty, thirsty and you gave me drink. And so this individual was saying, uh, I didn't even know him very much. I was kind of just teaching him. And he was saying, hey, you need to give me money. The church has to, to help me. Because you see, how are you going to defend yourself in front of Christ? Uh, because, yeah, I am hungry and you're not giving me money. Uh, so, you see, uh, people can be a little bit disorderly. Do you follow what I mean? Uh, can take a scripture and put a different tone to it <coughs> to kind of manipulate you to say, hey, I am poor, I don't have food, so you've got to give me money. Now, I'm not saying that we don't help those people, but we are talking yeah, about an attitude, a, a spirit uh, that, uh, that this individual, bright individual, capable individual, uh, able well to speak. And I said, hey, why aren't you being in a profession like a salesman? Yeah, maybe you have other problems. But you could be a salesman because you're quite capable, you think quite clearly and things like that. Uh, and you are able to speak things and you could be in a business selling uh, respectfully things to people and you could have some income. So, um, so uh, Paul is saying, yeah, we have authority. Not because we do not have authority. We do have authority. What does he mean by that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because remember, he's writing this letter from Corinth. And, uh, and in that area, and that region, so he's on Corinth, but also in Thessalonica. Uh, let's read the situation, yeah, or this kind of uh, feeling. First uh, Corinthians chapter nine, uh, verse three, it says, um, my defense to those who examine me is this, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? If I as a minister travel, don't I have a right to take my wife with me in, in this visit, as do also other apostles, like the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, in other words, and Peter. So, yeah, it's an interesting point. Peter had a wife. Uh, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to, to refrain from working? In other words, is it only Barnabas and I that have no right to ever to refrain from working in the industry? Uh, and then he brings the example. I mean, uh, okay, granted, in Corinth, he was doing a job, he was working to show them uh, as an example, like he was showing an example to the Corinthians that he worked. And so he says, uh, Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, who, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as, uh, as a mere man? 
Or does the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall, you shall not muzzle an ox where it treads out of the grain. I beg your pardon, while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen that God is concerned about? And, and then he goes on about the importance of tithing. And, and, and he says, even so, verse 14, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So uh, a, a very important point here. So he, he was saying um, uh, that he has a right to, to, um, uh, to live from uh, the tithes. You look at 2 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7 through 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7 through 9 says, Did I not, did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Um, because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And so, and then he says, uh, what does he mean by that? In other words, it's like when I go to Brazil. Uh, I am not using the tithes of the Brazilian to preach the gospel in Brazil. I'm using the tithes of American brethren so that I can go to Brazil and preach the gospel to them free of charge. So, in a sense, I am robbing uh, the churches in America, uh, taking wages from the churches in America to go and preach in Brazil free of charge, to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I'll keep myself. So you're saying, when I had a need, the brethren from other church areas came with their tithes, with their offerings, and helped me. And so uh, uh, let's continue then yeah, in verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For even when we were with you, we commanded you. This, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So you can see in the context, he's talking about this disorderly people that are not working. Uh, and we saw that in First Thessalonians. I, I showed you that example a little earlier. Is yeah, bringing a number of specifics saying these people were disorderly, were not working. Now, the principle of being disorderly as I said, is a principle. He was using one specific situation that was applicable in that region. But the principle is a general principle applicable also to other situations. So he says, uh, uh, among you, in a, uh, verse uh, 11, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies so you can see the context is very clear um, and so in verse 12 now those who are such we command 
those that are disorderly. So he's talking specifically in that instance about disorderly not working. But the principle is, as we read from verse 2, a, a little bit earlier that we read early on today, he's saying they will pray for us that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. So the principle is more encompassing. And so he says, yeah, now uh, those who are such unreasonable uh, uh, or uh, not working or whatever, have, uh, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they may work in quietness and eat their own bread. So he was talking about the specific situation that they were having there. Uh, now in uh, verse 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. So even though uh, we encounter these people that are disorderly, in this case was uh, not working, but the principle of being disorderly and unreasonable and maybe starting to get carried away with tweaks rather than the trunk of the tree, uh, which affects the effectiveness of the gospel. Uh, for us, our part is, as we see this, let's not be wary in doing good. Just because other people are not, let's call it, doing what they should do, that does not give you and I a reason to just say, oh, well, therefore, I'm going to stop doing good. No. And then he goes on in verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, so if people don't obey this command, that's the instruction to not be uh, disorderly, but to be orderly, uh, to be uh, not to be unreasonable, but to be reasonable. Uh, if they don't obey this word in this epistle, note that person. He's not saying that make a bit, note to yourself that person and do not company with him that he may be ashamed. Now that means uh, treat him in a certain gentle way because he says, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So there is some balanced way, yeah, to, to approach this and we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to ask God for loving kindness, how we approach the situation, because every situation is different. And so do not count this brother that acts in a disorderly fashion as an enemy, but admonish gently as, as it's proper. Sometimes the people don't want to hear it, but so you got to be wise about it but treat him as a brother still. But be careful uh, because uh, it says note that and do not keep company with him. So there is yeah, like a dichotomy and we have to act with wisdom in this situation. And then he concludes in verse, uh, in verse 16 and 17 and 18. Now, may the Lord of peace, in other words, may the God, God which is a God of peace, that is a God of harmony. God wants peace in the church. 
once once this peace between individuals once this harmony once this accord when we go to church we don't want it to be stressful we want it to be loving and peaceful so may the god of peace himself give you peace always in every way then may god help you to be have you that you may have a tranquil uh, confidence through christ uh, fearing nothing from god so may god help you to to have this confidence uh, in in in, uh, in a tranquility in peace because you're doing what is correct and it says uh, in every way the lord be with you always uh, and he says the salutation of paul with my own hand which is a sign in every epistle so i write so even though he had somebody else write the letter for him the epistle for him at the end he wrote the final words and signed to prove that it was a genuine letter from him and then he concludes in verse 18 the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all all in other words uh, the grace the favor the blessing the presence of god in us how through god's holy spirit in other words may god's holy spirit and through his goodness and kindness be with you always amen so that is a, a very concluding very encouraging letter uh, addressing certain issues about christ's coming and addressing some issues about uh, people being disorderly or being unruly and it was on a specific situation that that uh, the, that uh, unreasonableness or that disorder was uh, happening but it is a general principle that we can always apply so brethren thank you so much for your participation and uh, with this we conclude our study and our next study will be an introduction and then the beginning of the book of Galatians.